This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. All right. The text for this morning is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Amen. It was a joy to be away for a few days with the brothers in this church. For you men who weren't able to go this year, I hope you can go next year. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like being in a room filled with 44 men, young men, old men like me, singing at the top of our lungs, not because we're trying to impress people around us, because we can't, but because we love Jesus, and it was a wonderful time. So thank you, ladies who prayed for us, children who waited for your dads to come home, and uh, and we're, we're grateful. So, we are going to be challenged this morning. I'm going to be challenged to preach this. This is a tough one, uh, so pray for me as we go through this. But Peter's continuing his encouragement to elect exiles. That's what this is all about. Encouragement for elect exiles. That's what the book is about. So, they've been reviled. They're persecuted. They're maligned because they follow Christ. Christ, And they do not participate any longer in the human passions that they absolutely live for before they came to faith. And that's not just them, that's all of us, right? So Peter writes not just to give them and us encouragement and hope, but to give them a strategy. This this text today is a strategy for living in a world that wants us to continue in sin, but living in a way that puts us in a place where we will not continue in sin. We'll never be perfect this side of heaven. But there's a strategy here that we need to learn from this. He doesn't offer us platitudes, you know, just do better, just try harder, but a biblical plan, a strategy. Let's look at this passage then under three main points, a new mindset, a new purpose, and a settled promise. First, a new mindset. This is another difficult verse. This verse has been twisted and turned into false teaching in many places. So let's make sure we, we're sure we understand what Peter is saying. He starts with two words that force us to look back, right? Look back. Because he says, since, that's a look back word. Therefore, that's another look back word, right? Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh or because Christ suffered in the flesh, what? Well, this takes us back to 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. When, when Peter says Jesus suffered once for sins, we talked about this. What's he talking about? What did Jesus do when he suffered once for sins? He died on the cross, right? Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, 
on the cross, right? The verse is speaking of Jesus' passion, the passion of Christ, the suffering of Christ that took place once and once only on the Christ that was done once for sins. That's his death. He says, therefore, then he says to us, you need to arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That's where it gets tricky. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. What way of thinking are we talking about here? I'm going to go through four passages for really quickly. But we look back to 1 Peter 2, 20, 21 through 23. Listen to how Jesus responded to his suffering. For to this you have been called, but Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example. Follow this example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. When he suffered, he didn't sin because they were sinning against him. There was no deceit found in his mouth. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't lie about his purpose. He didn't make things up. He, he stayed honest to the word of God. There was... Uh, he, when he, he committed no sin, neither was defeat, deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He did not curse those who were cursing him. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Oh, you guys just wait because you got it coming to you. He could have, but he did not threaten. But continue, here's the key, continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Who was that for Jesus? God the Father. Arm yourselves then with that way of thinking. Too many Christians, I think, live with a peacetime mentality. We live as if, as if there is no battle, there is no war, there is no enemy. We're, we're good. I got Jesus. You know, me and Jesus, we got this going on. I'm going to be okay. I'm just going to cruise through life. I'm going to drift. And, you know, I can handle anything that comes my way. No, we are in the middle of a battle. And the people that are most vulnerable in a battle are the people who don't think they're in a battle. <laughs> right? If you get you walk out into into the Palest the Palestinian area right now, you know Gaza, and there are rockets going over and bombs dropping, and you don't think there's anything going on, you're going to die. You're probably going to die because you're not even acknowledging that there's a battle. So Peter says we are to arm ourselves, not with guns. We can't fight sin with guns. We fight sin with the right thinking. Go back to chapter 1. Just look at chapter 1, verse 13. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Remember we talked about that? That was a military uh, picture of a, of a man who's getting ready to go into battle. So he, he takes his robe and he wraps it up and ties it around his waist so his legs are free and he can run. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Stir up your mind. Get your mind ready. Arm yourself so that you know there's a battle going on around you and in your own heart. And you can fight effectively you can fight effectively he says so that you will cease from sin now this goes back to jesus because jesus had no sin to die for did jesus die so that he could cease from sinning everybody said no jesus did not die he's for for his sins whoever he says whoever he suffered in the flesh he died but then he was finished with our sin Jesus, when he said it is finished, he could have said, now I am, it is finished. I am done with the sins of those who will come to me by faith. Jesus' death does not cover the sins of the whole world because the whole world will not come to Jesus. 
Jesus' blood effectively was shed for those who are elect and those who will bow the knee, those who will surrender their life to Jesus and will walk in obedience to him, not just in this life, but will be with him forever. He, he, he finished our sin. Okay? So Jesus' one act of suffering put an end to, you, to your sin. But you say, well, wait a minute, we, we still sin. We do. But we need to arm ourselves with the biblical truth. 1 Peter 2.24, listen, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So we have died with Christ. We know that truth. And we have been risen with Christ. And that comes to Paul's writing in Romans 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died, listen, has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And then in verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So what Peter is appealing to here to these Gentile believers, he's saying, look, you know the debauchery you lived in before. Now you are dead to that. You have died with Christ. You've been raised to live with Christ. So equip yourself with this new mindset that I now am dead to sin. You will never cease from sinning this side of heaven, but you want to cease from that mindset that I'm a slave to sin. I can't help it. I can't get out of this. I have to, have to just keep living the way I've always lived. You know, I've said this before, and you've said it about yourself, probably said it about me. Well, you know, that's just the way Mark is. If you're making an excuse for my sin, that's, that's, that's not helpful. There's no excuse for my sin. I am supposed to die to my sin. That's why Jesus said, look, if anyone wants to follow me, what do you have to do? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. What does the cross point to? Death. <laughs> right? It's not a shiny piece of jewelry you put on you know, around your neck. You can do that. But that's not what he was talking about. Take up your cross and put it around your neck. He said, no, die. In fact, he says you need to take up your cross daily. So the mindset is, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to die to sin every single day. I'm going to wake up alive so I can die to sin that day. Alive in Christ so I can die to sin that way, that day, that moment. You know, we joke around when people say, you know, I, you know, I don't fall in school, you fall. And I say, well, I'm dead to you. You know, you're dead or you're dead to me. You're dead to me. You're dead to me. That's what we need to say to sin, right? The sin, the favorite sins of the flesh, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to indulge you any longer. You don't have control of, over me. I've died with Christ. I've been raised to walk in newness of life. We say that over every child, every adult we baptize. And Peter's saying, hey, let's live that way. Let's walk that way. Let's think that way. Let's arm ourselves to live that way so that we really can be peculiar people in the world. And people say, man, you guys are way different. Let's not joke around with sin. Let's tell it, I'm dead to you. That's because we have a new purpose. 
a new purpose. I like that quote. We have so many Christians who want to change the world, but they don't want to change themselves. The Lord of the Rings movie trilogy began with Galadriel saying, the world is changed. You guys can quote the rest of that. I know you can, but don't go there. We know what Tolkien was going for there, but look, the truth is, the world has not changed, right? (laughs) There's nothing new under the sun. The world has not changed. But you know what? Christians, believers, those who are dead in Christ and alive in Christ, dead in sin and alive in Christ, we have changed. We have changed. We have a new purpose. We're not the same anymore. Peter writes to the Gentiles who have come to Christ to to encourage them. They, They have a completely new purpose now. They are set apart. They are a chosen race. They are a a, a holy nation. They are a a king, kingdom of priests. We are those things. And we are peculiar people. He says, you lived once solely to satisfy your flesh and all its desires. And I think probably when he read that list, (laughs) they may have winced at it. It's not an exhaustive list. It's a prescriptive list or descriptive list. But listen to it. And see if you identify with it, some of us, sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Sounds like Friday, Saturday night at the local university. But those times are past, and I like the word he uses here, or the word that's translated into English here, for that time is past, and what you did then suffices, (laughs) you know, how you live then suffices. It is enough, Peter is saying. You lived that way then, and that was enough. And now you have a new mindset. You have a new purpose. And those old ways will not satisfy you again. And if they do satisfy you, or you keep going back to them over and over again, there, there's a problem. And it may be in your in your thinking that you're saved, or it may be just that you haven't put on that new mindset. I'm dead to you. I'm dead to you. I'm living for Him and Him only. This is hope here, not condemnation. Peter reminds us that our purpose is no longer to see how much we can satisfy the flesh, medicate our pain, escape from reality, bury our face in the cesspool of the world. I remember being in Kenya many years ago and and we were in, uh, ministering in the Kabir slum, and we were staying in a, a guest house right outside the Kabir slum. And one of the guys, his name was Charlie, was walking through the slum to come back to the guest house, and he made a nearly fatal mistake. He, he stepped and slipped into a ditch by the side of the road. Now, if you've been to Kabir, you know what I'm talking about. The ditches on the sides of those dirt roads in Kabir are filled with raw sewage because there is no septic system there it flows with raw sewage and charlie went all the way down in that ditch and the only thing he was able to spare was his bible he held it up (laughs) as the rest of him was immersed and he crawled out of that that ditch and he walked back to our place and let me tell you i smelled him a long time before i saw him and he was just covered in this filth, right? And, 
And, and as soon as he hit that cesspool, Charlie said, I knew I had misstepped and I did not want to be there. <laughs> you think, right? We've all been in the cesspool. We've all been there. It may not be raw sewage, but cesspools come in all sizes and shapes and substances. Greed can suck us in and hold on to us until it sucks the very life from us. So can unforgiveness, bitterness, lust. That's a cesspool, isn't it? Even self-righteousness with proud hearts saying, I'm so thankful I'm not like other men. That Pharisee was neck deep in a cesspool of pride and self-righteousness. The real danger being in a cesspool is that we get numb to it. We don't really care. You know, if Charlie had not, not taken off everything he owned and thrown it away and, and taken a shower, three or four of them, in fact, as I recall, if he had not taken it off and he had just sat down, he would eventually, he would eventually have gotten used to the smell. We wouldn't have, but he would. See, that's the thing about sin, right? It, it entraps us. We talked about this this morning. Ben did a great job leading us in that discussion. It, it traps us, and then eventually we just think it's normal. This is how I'm supposed to live. In drunkenness or orgies or sensuality or passions or any other sin that can hold us in its grip. And you know better as, as well as I do. Not better. You know as well as I do what those are. Here's the bad news. Sin always leads us into a pit. Sin's always going to be part uh, of the story. Here's the good news. Sin is not the end of the story. That's what Peter's saying here. It's not the end, brothers. You, you, you were there and God rescued you. Don't go back. Corey Ten Boom said, there is no pit that is so deep that God is not deeper still. Again, you may well be in a pit right now and not even realize because your heart is dull of feeling and hearing. And, and that, that's where other people come, come along. You know, when Lazarus came out, he was still bound up. He had to be, his brothers had to, had to take the wrappings off of him. He was still bound until they set him free. And sometimes we need to help our brothers and sisters that we know we're in a pit and don't realize they're in a pit or they're happy in that pit or they're arguing us about being in a pit. We have to help them out, right? Because they might not be able to get out themselves. And you know the saying is, is, is dangerous trying to pull somebody out of a ditch, right? You're a lot more likely to fall into that ditch with them than you are to pull them out. And so we have to be very careful um, when we're helping someone out of the ditch. But, but Peter's saying our new purpose is no longer human passions. It the, it's the will of God. It's our daily goal and our life goal to align our lives with God's purposes, to, have, to live according to His will. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's the next line? What's the next line? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven make that personal when you pray that i know you do this lord i i don't want to live today according to my will let your kingdom come in my life let your will be done in my life today in my relationship with my wife in my relationship with my family of faith your will be done 
because that's our new purpose, to live according to his purpose. I like what Clowney said here. They, these elect exiles, now knew a better way, a way that their scornful friends could not imagine. Fervent love for brothers and sisters in Christ had replaced lust. Alert awareness of the times had replaced drunken stupor. But above all, the joyful adoration of the risen Lord had replaced the folly of idolatry. How much these former pagans, when Paul, when Peter wrote that, that list, how much they probably winced and thought, ah, man, I wish I could go back and never have lived that way. How many feel the same way? I wish I could go back to my teenage years, to my 20s, and change the way I lived my life. But you know what? You can't go back. You can't go back. You also can't live back. You can't fix it by longing to fix it in the past. All we can do is make sure we've confessed and asked forgiveness. All we can do is go forward and live differently. You know, whatever sin that we might be caught up in, we can die to that by God's help. We heard a great testimony from Randy at the retreat, didn't we, men? Randy's not here today. He's fishing, him and John. May they catch many fish and maybe some sinners as well. But Randy told a powerful testimony about how he was captivated and enslaved by lust when he came to faith. And men told him, you know, well, that's just the way it is, man. You'll have those pictures in your brain the rest of your life. And he said, no, I don't believe that. And he began to pray every single day that God would set him free. Every single day. And he said, he woke up one morning and he was free. He said, brothers, I can't even begin to tell you how that made me feel. But if, if I could explain to you how that made me feel, you would crawl across broken glass to get there yourself. And that's what Peter is saying. Whatever it takes, die to that sin. Die to yourself and live to Christ because that sin is not blessing you. It's cursing you. It's holding you captive. We wake up every morning. The Lord says to us, hey, this is the day I made. Go ahead and rejoice and be glad in it. That leads us to finally a settled promise in Verses 4 through 6, Peter reminds us that we live with a new purpose, but there are those around us who are still living our old lifestyle, and they're surprised that we won't join them in it. They're surprised that you won't come to that drinking party, you know? You won't go to that orgy. They're surprised that you won't indulge your flesh with them any longer. We should not be surprised that they're surprised, <laughs> right? But how do we respond to that? Well, first of all, if they see even a hint of wobbliness in our walk, we're done for. They'll do everything in their power, which is also the power of the enemy of our souls. Right? Those, Peter talk, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6. Before we came to Christ, we were, or maybe not chapter 6. In Ephesians, he talks about how we were slaves to the prince of the power of the air the enemy of our souls. They'll do anything they can to pull you back into that ditch with them. So they need to see our resoluteness because of Christ and they will still malign you. They'll heap abuse on you. They will revile you. The word literally means there they will blaspheme. So if we're to have the mind of Christ when this happens, what do we do? We've already seen it. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
Jesus loved those who heaped abuse upon him. He loved those who reviled him. He loved them all the way to his death. Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they're doing, he said. So Peter, in effect, is saying, be encouraged no matter how long their abuse lasts, no matter how long they live, seeming to have everything and do whatever they want without repercussions, God will not forget. God will judge the living and the dead. Peter is encouraging the believers here, these elect exiles who are suffering by living for Christ, suffering abuse and, and, and people being maligned and, and, and persecuted. He's encouraging them. God is not mocked by that. He sees and he will repay. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He will come and he will judge the living and the dead. Now, don't be confused here. That's not Jesus coming back to judge the people who are alive and also the people who have died. Or no, the people who are alive in Christ, the people who are dead in Christ. He's saying he's going to come back and judge everyone. And there will be some living when he comes back who are Christ's and mostly people who are living who aren't Christ's. And then there will be many dead who are, who are dead in Christ and many dead who are dead and not in Christ. They will all be judged. Those who are in Christ, judged at the Bama seat, given rewards. Those outside of Christ, judged by the, at the great white throne of judgment and told, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And be cast, cast into outer darkness. But Peter says something here that's confused so many people. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the, way, in the spirit the way God does. Some people have read that and say, yeah, that's what he's talking about when Jesus pe- preached to the spirits in prison. We talked about that last week. He preached to, to the dead. And in fact, some people believe in what's called Christian universalism that Jesus is going to go to Hades and preach to all those who rejected him on the earth and present the gospel to them in person, Jesus himself, and they will repent and all of us will be in heaven. That's called Christian universalism. I have one verse to refute that. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Not after that comes Jesus preaching again. Hey, I died for you guys. You didn't believe in me, but you know what? I'm, I won't let you in anyway, so I'm going to tell you again. Hey, here's the good news. It's not going to happen. So this is what Peter is saying here. The dead here, when he says, back to the slide before, when he says, this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, he's talking about believers that these Gentiles, these exiles knew who had died. They had received Christ, they believed, but now they're dead. It was a big problem in the first century. First century Christians were very confused about what believers are once they've died. Because all the believers in that generation believed that Jesus was coming back before their generation passed, Right? And in every generation since them, every generation since them is convinced, this is it. This is the one. I'm going to live to see it. Jesus is coming back. And that keeps us looking for him, and that keeps us praying, you know, praying, may or not the Lord come quickly. But he'll come back when he comes back. <laughs> we, just, we just need to keep living for him and expecting him, but living a life as a Christian to do as much as we can, to, as we talked about at the retreat, He prepared good works for us to walk out. Let's walk those out to the day we die. 
So Paul wrote uh, the first letter to Thessalonica. That's the, whole, that's the main theme of the letter. Read 1 Thessalonians sometimes. He's writing to encourage these Christians. Don't worry about them. They're okay. They're with Christ. They're spirits with Christ, right? And he's coming back. He's still coming back. They didn't miss out, right? They're, they're going to be okay. So Peter's saying this is why he preached to those who were dead. They're going also to be with Christ. But what were the people saying around them, the unbelievers? What were they saying? <laughs> hey, where's Matthew? I noticed Matthew's buried over there in the ground, and there's Lydia. She's buried in the ground uh, over here. Hey, you Christians are talking about Jesus all the time. Where is this Jesus you talk about? This guy who's going to come back and take you to heaven. Not going to take them to heaven. They're dead. And so Peter's saying, listen, brothers and sisters, it's going to be okay. All the rest of you, if we die before Christ returns for us, he's saying we too will live again. We have died with Christ and we may die in Christ, but either way we will live again with Christ. This is not just something to be read at funerals. It's something to remind ourselves every day about that day. So what do we do? Let's put on a new mindset. Not just, I'm going to struggle with sin. No, I'm going to die to sin. Not just, you know, I, I have a purpose I know as a Christian, but boy, I, I, really, I really kind of think that this thing over here is okay. I know it's not right. I'm doing this little thing over here, and I'm indulging my flesh, but that's okay, you know, because I have this purpose in Christ. No, you have a new purpose in Christ to follow Him, mind, body, and soul. And let's rest in a settled promise that if we live our life for Jesus and there are no rewards this side of heaven, oh my goodness, the rewards that we will reap then, we can't even begin to imagine. Let's pray. I'm not sure I made any of that clear, but I think the Holy Spirit maybe can interpret some of it for you this morning. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to just think for a second. Is is there some death to sin that needs to take place in my mind? Is there a sin that I'm still very much alive to, very much justifying in my own mind, making it okay for me to continue to indulge? Is there a sin that the Holy Spirit would say to you this morning, hey, go ahead and, and say to that sin, I am dead to you. I could give you a list in my own life that I'm asking the Lord to help me die to. But you have that same list. You have a different list, perhaps. But the Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now to bring that to mind. Would you confess it to Him and thank Him that because Christ died to sin, you also can die to sin as well and walk in newness of life without that sin hanging around your neck any longer. Father, we're thankful that the word says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I, I pray that this message today would not bring any condemnation to any of us because if we are born again, there is no condemnation. But Lord, we want to, we want to walk in holiness. 
Peter said, you be holy just as, as or you said, you be holy just as I'm holy. And he just said it through Peter and said it through the book of Leviticus and other places. Lord, we want to be holy. We want to be sanctified. We want to grow up and mature. We want to put off the things of the flesh and put on the things of the spirit more and more. Put off the old self, as Paul said, and put on the new self day by day. Help us to do that, Lord, that people might see you and us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.